Hillary, I'm really excited about this episode of Dear Highlights. We're talking to Lenore Scadese, who has some really interesting ideas on um, kids and free time. Oh gosh, I enjoyed hearing from her so much. I think because I agree with her so much, but then I find that in my day-to-day life, it's hard sometimes to apply those ideas. You know, in the last year and a half, my kids have been in the house a lot, like a lot of people's kids have. And I think, oh yes, I value that they have free time and they'll they'll fill it with the things that they discover they love. But then when I see them day after day doing what appears to me to be very little, it's hard for me not to want to give them ideas, tell them what to do, want to see them being a little bit more productive. Yeah. I wonder, Chris, when you were growing up or you're experiencing parenting your own kids, did it feel that way to you too? Yeah. You know, there's so much more available for kids to do now. So many more opportunities, lessons and events and things you can take them to. And I think as a parent, I felt pressure to make sure that my kids had some of those opportunities. Now, my parents didn't feel that pressure. Um, They made sure that we had plenty of free time. (laughs) And I don't think it was intentional. I just think it's how they parented. But, um, you know, we discovered that boredom can be beautiful. And I remember in summer vacations, if we went to our mother and said, we're bored, uh, she would hand us a paper towel and some Windex and said, well, you could clean. (laughs) So off we would go and think of something much more creative and fun and interesting to do. And I do think that was important to my development. And I wish I'd done that a little bit more often with my kids, giving them more time to self-reflect and make some discoveries about who they are on their own. You know, as you're saying that, I'm remembering also a lot of long, boring summer afternoons My mom was not real keen on making sure that we had arranged a play date or driving us to the pool. She thought we could figure it out. And as I remember that, I do remember the what comes on the other side of that, of coming up with projects or finding things to do. And maybe it's the grounding of that memory that I really need in those moments to help me realize that when I see my kids doing nothing, maybe from their experience, it's actually everything. That's exactly right. Well, let's listen to this podcast. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. What are kids really thinking and feeling? Sometimes it's hard to know. The thousands of letters and emails kids send to Highlights Magazine every year help us keep our finger on the pulse of kids. We think they can also help you. So each week on this podcast, we talk with friends and experts about the things kids share with us and about making a world that honors children's voices. Lean in and listen to learn what kids want their grown-ups to know about being a kid today. I'm Christine French Cully, and you are listening to Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights, I have a problem with children my temper. My dad's at night, and I miss him all the time. I get keys to my dad's Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights. We're glad you're here with us today for a conversation with a friend of Highlights. Every other week this season, we are pausing to check in with someone who has an interesting perspective on how we can honor Highlight's belief that children are the world's most important people. Our guest today is a writer and the founder of Free Range Kids, Lenore Skenazy. You may remember a media storm around a column she wrote in 2008 about letting her then nine-year-old son ride the subway alone. 
The conversation it generated among parents and other adults who care about kids was lively and has continued for more than a decade. Many parents agree that kids need opportunities to make their own decisions, to make mistakes, and to experiment their way to success, but there's plenty of disagreement about where to draw the line in the interest of kids' safety. As president of Let Grow, a nonprofit promoting childhood independence, Lenore advocates for adults to step back to allow kids to step up. Lenore, welcome to our podcast. Hey, I feel I can leave. I feel like you've just articulated everything I believe. And I'd say, you know, you can tell you're a writer. You've been an editor-in-chief for, for a zillion years at this point, and it shows. You're just, that's just, just lovely. Thank you. Well, thank you. I had a little assist from our producer, Hillary Bates, who's also joining us on this podcast today. Yes, hi. Lenore, I actually wanted to tell you, as we were getting started, I have two kids. My first child was born in 2007. So I was just tuning into parenting conversations when this story came about. And I have to tell you, you know, my personality and how I'm wired, I am definitely on the cautious side. I would describe myself as risk averse. And I really had to start by saying thank you. Um, You know, my son walked himself back and forth to school, took care of himself after school in elementary and middle school. And I honestly don't know if that would have happened if I hadn't spent some time reading and listening to you truly um, and understanding how valuable that might be for him. And I was talking to him about this beforehand and more important than my saying thanks, I really wanted to pass along that he said thank you. Um, (laughs) Very much. That's so cool. (laughs) Wow, neat. Um, And it made me think, you know, as I was talking to him and thinking back on that, Um, I'm curious how your son, Izzy, feels now. (laughs) He's a grown-up, right, essentially. Um, How he feels. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's some wiggle room for all of us in uh, when you become a grown-up. But, uh, you know, how does he feel looking back at that story and how he really became the center of these conversations about parenting for a bit? You know, people ask about that, and I always wonder, like, how much your kids or Christine's kids care about what you do for a living. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, he's happy I have a job, you know, put food on the table. You know, there's mom sitting in the corner writing again or doing a podcast. And I don't think he dwells upon it very much. Lenore, you and I had a chance to talk recently about childhood today. And our conversation about this aspect of it has stayed with me. Children's free time, what they do with it, and what it might mean for their growth and development if they don't have enough of it. So can you tell us what has made you so interested in this topic? Um, I guess it's, you know, everybody is sort of, you know, obsessed with their own lives at some point. So I'm embarrassed to admit that I think back on my own childhood, and I am so grateful that I had so much free time that was not spent. I ended up being a writer, obviously, but I didn't have time spent in writing class and my mom wasn't reading my diary and there was no um, professionalization of my interests. I just sort of had a chance to pursue them. And some of them are the dumbest things you could imagine pursuing. I made a lot of things out of glue. I mean, not glue and other stuff, just glue. I was really interested in the fact that you could, it it glops out and then it's, you know, solid. Uh, You know, I don't see that being a big part of my life these days, glue sculptures. 
But what I did have was a lot of time to play with my friends, read books, and find what did interest me, which was I did a ton of writing and a ton of drawing. I don't do the writing anymore. I probably sent highlights, a bunch of my pictures. I, I do think that you published a very short poem of mine at one point, which I, I um, think is probably the most exciting moment in anybody's life when they're little is to see themselves published. And, and I can quote it to this day, but I won't. We'll have to look for that in our archives. <laughs> it was about thunderstorms. Yes, look it up. I, I would have been Lori Skenazy back then, even though Lenore's my real name. Anyways, the point is when you and I were talking about this, you talked about what you loved so much as a kid, which was reading magazines, and in particular, magazines that were for kids, right? And then I'd say tell, tell everybody else what you, what you discovered in one of those magazines. Yeah. Well, I, I shared my story with you about how I decided in childhood that I was meant to be a children's magazine editor. Um, my parents subscribed to several children's magazines for my sisters and for me. And I had a favorite that was a girl's magazine. And I have a very clear memory of it coming in the mail and my doing what I always did when a new issue appeared in the mailbox. I would take it into the bedroom, flop on the bed, and read it cover to cover. And for whatever reason, on that particular day, I read for the first time The Masthead. And I saw somebody's name right there as editor. And her name was Ruby, and I've forgotten her last name. But I had this epiphany oh my gosh, it's somebody's really cool job to figure out what to put in this magazine that I love so much, and I want to do that someday. And I never really looked back. Um, and I just think it's so interesting when you find adults who have, who realize that their childhood interests have, became, have become their adult passions or even often their careers. And I know you shared a similar story with me, didn't involve yeah. glue. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's some some of my life didn't involve glue. Imagine that. Right? Yeah. No, when I was a kid, what I really desperately wanted to start was a fad or a word. I wanted people to use a phrase or a word that I came up with. And I, I made jewelry. I made um, necklaces. I made pins that had words on it. And I can tell you that gleeps did not make it into the, you know, popular lexicon. Nobody says gleeps like I hoped they would, even though I wore my gleeps necklace day in and day out. And nobody uses Hoovering the Navajos, a, a pointless phrase I thought was going to become popular. But I really was obsessed with this idea. And frankly, when I came up with Free Range Kids as a name for my blog that I started after the sun took the subway, um, I trademarked it. <laughs> and so I'm in the dictionary now. You know, this this phrase, trademarked and written by Lenore. So it's I, I don't think it's a coincidence. And the other thing I loved as a kid was contests. I read books about contests, and I was obsessed. Chicago Magazine had a contest. And then for about 25 years of my life, in one place or another, whether it was a magazine or a newspaper or NPR or whatever, I ran contests. I think that you are hardwired to be interested in some things, and kids need the time and almost the serendipity to find them out. You know, so it might not have been magazines that was your thing. It might have been, you know, double dutch. It might have been baking. It might have been something really weird. But if you don't have any free time and you're always in an adult organized activity, you can get good at that activity. You can get really good at lacrosse. You can take Kumon and ace your SATs. But that doesn't mean you've ever stumbled upon the thing that is so absorbing you're doing it to this day. And so you need free time to do the stumbling, which looks like wasted time to adults. You know, you there's a line in one of your published columns that I really love. You wrote, who we are as children is the oldest part of us, the seed of who we become. 
I just love that line. And I think, you know, we can agree that kids need the time and space to figure out who they are, to see who they are. And I remember as a child having plenty of time, of quiet time, you know, in my own room, in my own head, um, thinking about my hopes and dreams for myself and, and wondering about the world. Some parents today may worry that if they don't fill their kids' time with lessons and activities, that their kids will fill it with cell phones spiraling and doom scrolling instead of the kind of boredom that sparks creativity or passion. Even if parents tend not to overload their kids or overschedule them, do you think kids today have the same access to quiet and creative moments? God, there's so many questions embedded in there. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, no, it's just, it's all interesting to me. First of all, doom scrolling, something I do, not good. Um, you don't want your kids to have only time when they can be online. So I'd say you really have to make sure that there is some time when they're offline, right? It's just as simple as that. And actually at Lecro, we have a couple ideas of how to do that. But But the other thing about being online is that kids find stuff that they love online and all sorts of interesting communities that are not terrible for them, where their fellow geeks can meet and people who want to write new endings to Harry Potter and people making stuff out of, you know, clay and, and beads. And uh, my husband, <laughs> why was my husband watching TikTok? He's in his 60s, but nonetheless, he was. Every morning now, he makes this silly omelet uh, that you flip upside down with a tortilla on the bottom and it becomes the sandwich that he learned on TikTok. So it's not like the, you know, the internet is only a cesspool of, you know, comparing yourself and mean girls and bullying. There's, there's so much out there that is interesting, that is a new way to stumble upon your interests. Um, the idea of parents worrying is one that I, you know, I'm a worrier, and I just want parents to, to recognize that when they're worrying that their kids are wasting their time, they have to think back as you just did. I mean, was it a waste of your time? You were reading girly magazines, you know? Was it telling you that you should only worry about makeup and boys? And did that rot your brain and turn you into a, a hussy, you know, or a, <laughs> or, so. or a cheerleader? God forbid. Um, it turned you into who you are. So we sort of have to give some credit to kids' innate... Um, like, they're not just interested in boring, dumb stuff. They're usually interested in something that is interesting. And to be interesting, it has to be a little bit beyond you. You know, like, I mean, like, you know, it's never 17-year-olds who read 17. Uh, it is 13-year-olds who read 17 because it's this new world. It's exciting. And you, you are interested in the writing and how do people pick what goes into a magazine. I mean, most people aren't thinking about that, but you were. So... Let's assume that when your kid is doing something and you think, wow, they're just bouncing the ball. And if I only got out there and got them a basketball coach, they could be practicing their free throws with an expert. There's something to bouncing the ball that is engaging enough or disengaging enough that allows them to do something else in their brain. And you just have to trust them with a little bit of self-discovery. It's not all our job to show them what they could be doing if they only did it more efficiently and optimally like an adult would. I see you both nodding. This is very good. Thank you. Well, Lenore, <laughs> I'm really thinking about what you said and thinking about, you know, you said everybody thinks about their own lives. I'm thinking about my childhood. You know, my brother um, got in a lot of trouble. He was failing eighth grade because he just spent all his time on the computer. He was a sysop. 
of a bulletin board system. I'm sure that is meaningless to most people because uh, I, I guess it's so, a systems operator. Yeah, we're so far along now on the internet that that's sort of meaningless. He got so absorbed by that that he stopped doing any schoolwork. You know, I know my parents were very worried about that screen time. And today, you know, he's a director at Microsoft and has. I, made- I was going to guess Microsoft. <laughs> Golly, yeah. I was so close. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's made a very lucrative career out of being obsessed with the computer, you know. But I think back to our house and I think what I was doing on the computer in that same house was maybe a a less good use of my time. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, uh, I wasn't passionate about it. It was more like truly I was just trying to pass some time with a video game. Mm -hmm. And I think for my parents, you know, and maybe some of the trouble something we talk about a lot at Highlights is really listening to kids. And I think Mm -hmm. that sometimes really listening to kids is what can help us differentiate between time they are wasting because they don't know what to do with it and time they are investing because they are interested in something. Actually, I love that because invest is the opposite of waste, even when we're talking about money. So that's a a great analogy. So, okay, so let's talk about your video game uh, obsession or uh, wasted youth, you wastrel you. Um, What else could you have been doing? And do you feel um, a deficit in your life because you spent time playing whatever game you're playing? Oh, I don't feel a deficit in my life at all that I was playing those video games, nor am I really criticizing myself for it. I just Mm -hmm. mean that I think there is maybe a qualitative difference. Like people might look at something and see it as the same behavior. But Mm -hmm. for two different kids, it's really two very different things that they're doing. And I think there's a difference in parenting when you're observing your kids and when you're engaging and listening to them to learn more about what they think about what they're doing, you know? Um, And invite them to see sometimes, I mean, it's probably also true for most of us, we did some stuff as kids that we ultimately decided was wasting our time. That's true. It's true. And you have to figure it out, right? Although I think about like all the time I spent like jump roping. I don't know. Maybe it was aerobically good. Maybe that's why I'm alive today. Or I don't know. Maybe it was just jump roping. You know, it's like the only thing I was, the only sport I could manage. Yeah, well, you were being a child. You were enjoying childhood. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I I loved the book you edited, the Dear Highlights book, and I was just writing about it, and you'll see my piece sometime soon, I hope. Um, And what I was struck by is, you know, we think, oh, childhood should be magical, or at least it should be productive, and so much of childhood is tough. It's it's so confusing, and um, obviously you're going to hear the confusion because it was Dear Highlights. It wasn't like, hey, this is so great. It was kids writing for advice because they were in some situation they couldn't figure out. But so many kids are so um, lonely and so confused and so worried. And in a way, it's almost reassuring. I feel like kids should read that book because, like, you're not alone. You're, uh, there's so many kids who feel that way. You're not going to be that. There, there was this wonderful initiative done uh, about five or ten years ago. But I think it was started by Dan Savage after the, there was a horrible tragedy where a gay young man killed himself. And and it was because um, he couldn't imagine. I mean, I'm just, what do I know? But it seemed like he couldn't imagine that there would be a time when he wouldn't be hating himself and embarrassed and humiliated in the world. And so the uh, the it get 
Gets Better campaign was all these gay people around the world. You know, they work for Pixar. They work for Microsoft. They, they, they had great jobs and they had happy marriages or they were by themselves and they were happy. Whatever it was, it's like it gets better. And I feel like um, the letters that were written back by Highlights were were sort of of that tenor. Like, and you can handle it. You're going to get better. You you can, you know, you, you're in a bad situation. You don't have any friends. Here's an idea. Go talk to some people. I know it's going to be hard. It was very practical. It was empathic, but it was proactive. And I feel like kids need that. Um, just a, a, um, a person who believes in them, in their life, giving them some advice. But the advice is basically, here are the keys, whether it's to your roller skates or your car. Go drive. <laughs> you know, go get them. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, except that I loved that book and I loved the tone. And I wonder if people are getting that. I mean, maybe there should be a, an it gets better <laughs> just for childhood, you know, gay or straight. Doesn't matter. Like, you know, you're lonely. You don't have friends. Your best friend dumped you. You're getting bad grades. It's going to get better. There, there is there is something beyond this moment. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you understand what we do try to do for kids in our responses to letters. That's exactly right. We try to say to kids, you nailed it. And I remember that campaign. That was a fabulous campaign. Oh, the It Gets Better? Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It was wonderful. But, you know, it, it the world is changing quickly. It's always changing. Uh, but it yeah. seems like right now maybe parents are bringing, um, maybe there's more anxiety in the world. Kids have more anxiety than prior generations. I think that's a safe statement. I think it's I think it's uh, statistically true. <laughs> yeah, and and the pandemic has not helped. There are um, indeed some real threats to our children, and they are also increasing threats that are unfamiliar to their parents, which just makes it all the more stressful. We read thousands of letters from kids every year, and uh, the takeaway we are always sharing is that while the world has changed a lot. The fundamentals of childhood, the fundamental concerns of kids have remained largely the same. The kids want attention from parents. They want freedom to explore their interests. They're worried about friendship and about doing well in school. Uh, when you look at American childhood today, and I know you're looking at it all the time, what gives you hope for the future? Oh, that's so interesting. Um well, one of the things we just discussed, the fact that you can be the oddest oddball in your neighborhood or your school, and now you can find other people who um, share your interests or your quirky personality and celebrate. Um, I love the fact that you're talking to me. I mean, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, whatever it was, when I wrote um, about my son taking the subway, I got labeled America's worst mom which is kind of funny to me, and I, I, I like it because when I'm sitting next to somebody on a bus, I say, hey, why don't you Google America's Worst Mom? And then they do, and then like, <laughs> oh my God, they think I'm going to murder them. Um, but the fact is that these ideas are no, not controversial now. I mean, I think a lot more people are coming around to the idea that if kids are very anxious and depressed now, and we've given them everything, we've given them you know, soccer lessons and a TV in the back of the SUV and organic food and... Um, all these advantages, and yet we haven't given them the one thing that we loved most as kids, which was, we were just discussing this, all of us, our freedom, whether it was to go online or to read a magazine or to wander outside or to play. Um, I think that message is getting through, and it, it used to be considered maybe slacker or, you know, I still get letters every now and then, like, you just don't want to watch your kids, you lazy bum. But 
there's a lot more people like Hillary saying, like, this was helpful to realize that our culture has been driving us crazy with fear. And we're allowed to question whether whether it is so dangerous for a kid to wait at the bus stop, so crazy to let them go and get a Slurpee with their friend on a bike. So I, um, when I first started my blog for two years, I was the most controversial mommy blogger, according to somebody, you know, some other blog. But um, it's not so controversial anymore. So that gives me hope. I mean, I think people are recognizing that we have given kids almost everything adult organized um, but what we liked most as kids was kid organized and that we have to start flipping that a little thank you for that well you know I'm I'm not only a highlights fan since my childhood my uncle who was uh, disabled in the war had a job binding highlights no <laughs> when he came back from the war he worked in a bindery and we had all the highlights that were upside down <laughs> <laughs> It's like, this is great. You open highlights. Wait, this is the back, and it's backwards and upside down. And then you flip it over, and then you could read it. So I grew up with a lot of highlights and a slightly weird view of life, I guess. That is hilarious. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> they used to be. They used to have hard covers. At least the ones that were bound by my uncle had hard covers. There was a time where we made a library edition, I believe, and it had a hard cover. There you go. That's great. A little blast in the past. <laughs> Thanks again for all you do. Thanks for being with us today. All right. Thank you for highlights. And thank you for your story, Hillary. And Christine, if I was writing my article again about finding, you know, the child is father to the man is what Wordsworth wrote. And you're, you were a, you were the woman you were to become when you were reading those Young Miss magazines. It's just so obvious and so cool. Thank you. We are honored to be able to elevate kids' voices and imagine a world where grown-ups take seriously kids' concerns and act on them. Whether a child's concern is big or small, unique or universal, serious or sure to work itself out, it's real to the child and matters deeply. We've come to see that in every letter kids have sent to us over the years, there are implicit, overarching questions embedded within. Do you care? Am I loved? Do I have a place in the world, a place in the lives of the people I love? We hope kids believe us when we say in many more words, yes, yes, yes. Let's all lean in to give kids what they really need and want, more listening, more understanding, and more connecting. This podcast is an extension of the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available now wherever books are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review to help us reach more grown-ups who care about kids. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hillary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher. <laughs>